Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's May 22nd, 2022. This is Sunday Take. I'm your host, Blois Olson. What another week. We talked to Scott Jensen and Matt Burke last week. We'll talk to Governor Walls today. He was endorsed Friday at the DFL convention. The legislative session is supposed to wrap up tomorrow. What did they get done? And then Ken Martin on the State of the Democratic Party. It's Sunday Take on News Talk 830-WCCO. Two weekends in a row, two political conventions, a legislative session. I'd say Minnesota's in full-time political season. Friday at the Democratic Convention and Saturday at the DFL Convention, we had a slate of constitutional officers unopposed for office. They were endorsed by acclamation. And largely... They have dominated the scene for 12 years as a statewide party. That's all been under the tutelage and the leadership of party chair Ken Martin. But 2022 might be different for Democrats, and they know it. They feel the headwinds. There's a mood of, I would just say, uh, it's heavy. But they want to do the work. It's clear that they believe they can still win, and that they're going to put up a fight. You know, the messages that came out of the convention this weekend were really about trying to make the case to Minnesota, not just about what Democrats have done, but they point to Republicans as the contrast. It's very clear that the messages of Governor Walls in his reelection have come through. He wants to take the campaign to every corner. He's doubling down on the concept of one Minnesota. But the reality is, I believe, that both parties have become so polarized and so focused on outlier issues that motivate their base that the issues of pocketbook, the issues of education, the issues of public safety, while they'll get a lot of attention, Those are the issues the mainstream Minnesotans are thinking about. And when they look at Tim Walls and when they look at Scott Jensen, what will they see? What will the debate be? What will the discussion turn to? Some of that will come out of the legislative session. It wraps up tomorrow. But it wasn't tenuous. 
Governor Walls will run on the idea that he created a bipartisan atmosphere with no vetoes over budget bills and got things done. That's true. But did he get enough done? Because this is different than four years ago. He has a record and he knows it and he talks about it. But is it compelling enough? There's a lot of campaign left to be run. We don't make predictions in May. But we do know that the mood of Minnesota is uncertain. It was uncertain before inflation. It was uncertain before Scott Jensen was nominated. And so you look at the personalities, you look at the people, you look at the policies. And while they talk about election integrity on the right, and they talk about trans rights on the left, most of Minnesota at their core just want to make sure they have the best possible schools, the safest possible streets, health care they can afford, and a state that they're still proud of. So ultimately, that's what we're going to have a debate about over the summer. Mark your calendars for August 3rd. That's the Farm Fest Forum, where all the gubernatorial candidates on the ballot that are major will be invited. We sure hope they all show, and we'll cover it here on CCO. We'll have the debates, and we'll have the dialogue. But most importantly, we have the listeners to tell us what's on their mind. Because I need to listen. We need to listen. And for certain, the one thing these candidates can do more of than talk throughout this year is really listen. Not just to their core supporters, but to people who don't go to caucuses, who don't go to conventions, who don't spend hours in the process. Neighbors friends, and even people they disagree with. Let's hope that Jensen and Walls listen more than they talk this year to people that aren't aligned with either party. Then we may have a discussion and a debate on the issues that move Minnesota. I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take. When we come back, DFL Chair Ken Martin. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 
First cup of coffee this morning is with Ken Martin, the chair of the Minnesota DFL. Ken and I have known each other a long time. I like to disclose these things. He just traced it back to 1996 when we were both uh, very young, let's just say. We were. Well, speak for yourself. I don't know if I've ever been young. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, well, um, Ken, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, boys. Thanks for having me. You guys have uh, completed a convention. Um, you endorsed a slate of statewide candidates. You've been very successful as the chair. You're in your 12th year. As you look to 2022, what do you see on the horizon politically and what's different? Well, look, I mean, it, it certainly uh, seems like it's going to be a tough year for Democrats around the nation. And um, uh, it's the first time in my time as uh, as chair that we have uh, not had a federal candidate leading the ticket, either a mm-hmm. U.S. senator or a presidential. Uh, it's uh, one of the most crowded ballots that I, I, we've seen in a long time. There's a lot of headwinds blowing against us out of D.C. Uh, and certainly against Democrats around the country. But, uh, you know, all that said, uh, what I would say is we're very excited about the candidates we have. And every election has to be put into context, right? And despite the headwinds, uh, what we see on the other side are uh, a slate of Republican candidates that are wholly unprepared for waging the type of campaign they need to to unseat uh, very popular incumbents in the state. And I would say what you saw this weekend in, in Rochester for the DFL was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm and no fireworks, no controversy. At the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, as I promised uh, folks going into Rochester, we, we, we're not going to be able to deliver on the craziness that we saw with the Republicans. But I will tell you, uh, we came out unified. We came out ready to uh, go. And we're really excited about the candidates we have. Ken, you talk about headwinds. You talk about the Republicans. Um, You know, what, when you travel the state, and maybe you talk to people, I know you talk to people who aren't Democrats, who aren't DFLers. Mm -hmm. What's on their mind, and how do you appeal to those independent voters throughout the state that, don't align with the GOP or the DFL right now? Well, I think that's one of the uh, things that's really working in our favor right now. And since the uh, Roe decision that was leaked just a couple weeks ago, um, there's no doubt that we're seeing an outpouring of enthusiasm and support from independent voters and even moderate Republicans who are worried about this far-right movement towards authoritarianism and, you know, personal liberties, uh, uh, you know, being taken away. The reality is, is I'm sure you've read that decision uh, as well, Blois, it's very expansive. It's really an attack on uh, individual privacy rights. And uh, where does it end? And I think that's animating people both in the middle, the, the vast majority of voters who are independent, as well as our base in ways that uh, we really needed a shot in the arm, to be honest with you. It's also animating moderate Republicans who feel like uh, their party uh, continues to abandon them on critical issues. It's not just um, abortion. It's also issues like gun control. You know, in this country and, and in the state, two-thirds of Americans support access to legal and safe abortions. Uh, 80 to 90 percent of Americans support uh, um, universal uh, background checks and red flag laws to help, uh, you know, with gun, gun violence prevention in this country. Yet the Republican Party continues to uh, oppose uh, those things. And, you know, people ask me all the time, why can't the Republicans compete in a state like Minnesota in the suburbs? And part of it is because their values are just completely, um, you know, opposite 
opposite where suburban voters are in the state. And, you know, you and I both know this, Boyce. Uh, you know, they made a decision 12 years ago to carve up the state and try to appeal to voters in greater Minnesota, and they did that at, uh, at, at their own risk. And, of course, they haven't been able to win a statewide election since then. I don't think anything's changed. If anything, the Republican Party in the state has moved even further to the right, even pushing them further away from uh, any sort of real uh, appeal to suburban voters. And that's where the, these races statewide are going to be won or lost. You talk about the Republicans moving for the right, but, you know, we can argue all day long, um, people will, uh, that the Democratic Party has moved further to the left. You have, even within your own party, uh, even this weekend, Democratic Socialists who want to be a part of the party. There, you know, if you if there's one thing that I feel like we haven't debated probably since the 30s robustly is economic policy of a market system. Yeah, we can debate taxes and we can debate wages and we can debate those kinds of things. But fundamentally, whether or not we're a capitalist country or not, um, without turning this into a college class, what do you say to those members of your party that are on the far left that think that we've, you know, that, that our economic system is completely broken, that they're for you know, kind of guaranteed income or some other idea that you and I would not have talked about 12 years ago? Well, look, I mean, I I, um, I would say that our party, as much as the Republicans are, try to portray us as a bunch of socialists, that's not true. Uh, we believe in capitalism. We believe that capitalism has um, led to uh, the middle class in this country and great opportunity, and we believe in free markets. The reality is, is we don't believe in an unfettered capitalism that allows wealth to be consolidated at the top at the expense of people who are actually helping to create that wealth. And that's a big difference between our parties. Uh, we haven't, as we've seen corporate profits soaring and CEOs getting richer, um, people are working two, three jobs and barely getting by. And so, you know, I think we could debate this, but the reality is, is there is a big difference between the two parties. But both parties uh, fundamentally believe that capitalism uh, is, is the best of all sort of economic systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we just have a different approach about how people who participate in that capitalist uh, economy actually are are benefiting. And, you know, Democrats are going to fight hard to make sure that that uh, everyone is benefiting. And when our economy is churning, all, 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 you know, it's that old saying, a, a rising tide should lift all boats. We want all boats to be lifted at the same time. That's the biggest difference, I think. You know, look, um, there's a lot of differences, of course, between our parties. But on that fundamental question, we, we are also a, a Big Ten party, boys, the Democrats. Democrats. Um, unlike the Republican Party, uh, you know, we welcome dissent and debate. We welcome people with different ideas. You know, there's certainly a group of, uh, you know, Democratic Socialists who are trying to get a foothold in the party. And, you know, they are welcome to organize within our party. That's a hallmark of uh, the DFL. Currently, they don't have support to be established formally or officially. But, um, you know, as I've said to them, you know, uh, the beauty of the DFL is we are open to new ideas, to new ways of thinking, and we will always welcome dissent and debate. Frankly, it's the only thing that's evolved our party over the years. In 1948, uh, the convention in Philadelphia where Hubert Humphrey brought the civil rights plank into our party platform is an example of how people from the left have pushed our party to be better. You know, all that said, look, I don't disagree with you on one really important point, which is 
fewer and fewer people are participating in political parties uh, and generally feeling alienated from it. And as they stop participating, what's left in both parties are extreme voices. And candidates who seek party endorsement or party nomination run towards those bases. And that's true of the DFL as much as it is of the Republican Party. And so if the antidote to that, I believe, is to make sure that we're bringing in voices uh, from all parts of the ideological spectrum and trying to appeal to all different people. Our party will always remain open. I believe in our party process. Uh, it's cer- there's certainly flaws in it for sure, but it's the best alternative to go into a primary where those with the most amount of money and highest name ID uh, end up uh, benefiting from. So, you know, look, that's probably gone a yeah. field of where you're where That's you're all right. At, no, my guest is Ken Martin. He's the chair of the DFL party. He's been the chair for 12 years uh, and probably the toughest year uh, that he will lead the party uh, with the headwinds he has. You have a national role, and so you follow the national dynamics. You and I were, you know, single-digit age when we had inflation like this before. Um, Democrats have always talked about being really good on pocketbook issues. There's probably never been a time when pocketbook issues were more on the minds of voters than right now. How can policy or how can this election help people understand the party's position on pocketbook issues, uh, you know, uh, in a way that, you know, generationally we've never had to talk about before? Well, look, I mean, I think you hit on something, and Barack Obama said this in 2008, right, that people are going to uh, vote their pocketbook issues. They're going to vote on things like gas prices and, and you know, milk prices and, you know, things that impact their families uh, very directly, and there's no doubt about it. It's very hard to explain inflation to people. We we, we, we can do it till we're blue in the face, but the old saying you're, you, when you're explaining you're losing is absolutely true here. You and I both know, boys, that inflation, this inflation, period we find ourselves in is not uh, the result of democratic policies. It's not the result of something Joe Biden did or Tim Walls did. We're dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, We're seeing inflation all over the world. We're seeing uh, cost of consumer goods rising all over uh, this country and all over the world as a result of uh, supply chain issues and labor shortages and uh, a lot of things that uh, the pandemic has created. And, you know, it's not a result of of government policy. now, government has a responsibility, and I know Democrats in Washington and St. Paul are trying to figure out how we actually get our arms around bringing down the cost of consumer goods, cost of gasoline, uh, et cetera. And, you know, I think there's some things on the table that, that will be coming forward. But one of the things that's important to remember about inflation, Boyce, is that unlike the 70s, when we were young young children, uh, when you coupled inflation with high unemployment, it, it led to stagflation, and it lasted a long time. Most economists will tell you that they see us coming out of this inflationary period pretty soon. The economy is churning at a very quick rate. We had the highest GDP in the last 40 years, the first time in 20 years the U.S. has outpaced China. We have record low unemployment in Minnesota. We actually have full employment in this country and in the state right now. Anyone who wants a job can, can work. And those are things that are are going to allow us to come out of this. Uh, the Fed's uh, raised the interest rates. That will help with uh, keeping some of this inflationary uh, uh, impact under control. There's a whole host of things. But, you know, I'm not an economist, but what I would tell you is that people who try to blame it on the party in power are just missing the point of how this was created in the first place. Ken, I know we'll talk a lot through this election year. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Tape. Thank you. When we come back, Governor Walls will join me. He'll talk about his themes for this election year 
after the DFL convention. You're listening to Sunday Take on Newstalk 830 WCCO. Our final interview Sunday is with Governor Tim Walz. He gave a speech Friday, which kicks off kind of the hardcore re-election. Tomorrow, the legislative session will end uh, with a budget deal being done uh, and campaign 2022 uh, kicks off in earnest. Governor, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Great to be with you, boys. You know, Friday, you really touched on these bipartisan budget deals. You've been a legislator and now an executive. What's the difference of kind of the way you look at getting through a legislative session or passing legislation like budgets or like the supplemental budget this year? What's the, you know, just kind of tactically or strategically, how have you, what have you learned as governor versus when you're in Congress? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I think it's really helpful in this job to have been on the other side of this. Each and every one of those legislators was was elected to go for their constituents and bring their values and, and make their case for things. Uh, knowing that's the case, um, you know, they, they come in passionate. Being on the other side of things, we have to actually implement these things. We actually have to make sure that the snow plows are ready to go when it snows. We need to make sure that uh, education funding's in our schools or whatever it may be. And so trying to make the case where each individual legislator has their passionate issue where they're about and trying to work with them to, to get the caucus to agree together. And it, it requires compromise, compromise as a virtue. And uh, I think one of the things is, is just to be as candid as I can be with them about, here's why we're asking for this. Here's what it does. And this is what it costs to say, for example, run the Stillwater prison per year. Here's the cost associated with that. That's why we're asking for this. Or this is why we want this program because here's the result. So I think it's really helpful because I do try and put myself every time into their their shoes and know that they're coming at it and doing the job they're supposed to be doing. At the end of the day, being a legislator and and knowing I had to compromise on things, I think was also helpful um, to see the way the path forward for them. So I think it's been successful. I think we've done it like no other state had to do it. Um, And we've done it really successfully with historic budgets, historic tax cuts, um, historic investments in education. I mean, every single legislator could be proud of that. As you think back four years ago, uh, the world was a very different place. The parties were different places. The voters were in different places. Um, Minnesota was different four years ago than it is today. Not good, not bad, just different. Um, as you reflect back on you know, the themes you had four years ago, notably one Minnesota and infrastructure, what do you see now as you go forward and make your case to Minnesota voters on what why they should reelect you uh, after four years and, you know, very unprecedented, historic, tumultuous times between a pandemic, civil unrest, and just the mood of Minnesota being more and more anxious. Yeah, well, I think those themes um, and take the one Minnesota piece is more important now than ever. This idea of unity, uh, I, I reject the notion that, that every single political speech has to be about dividing, has to demonize the other side has to put somebody in a black hat so you can pretend you're in a white hat. We need solutions. And I think the case I'm going to make is during those unprecedented challenges, we provided competent and effective leadership, you know, over this 
past few days, stories on Minnesota ranking near the very best in terms of preventing deaths from COVID and ranking very best in terms of employment in some of the economic numbers. So I think, and, and again, the investments now that we have with the Infrastructure Act coming out of the federal government and our ability to get the matching funds out of divided legislature, we have kept our promises. We've had historic investments in education. We have only cut taxes and never raised a tax. We balanced budgets time and time again and done it all without ever issuing a veto um, of, of lifting up the rhetoric that we're in this together. So I think it's going to be a very clear choice. It's going to be, you know, decency and competency over conspiracy and division. Uh, and I think Minnesotans will make the right choice. So you say that about decency and competency versus conspiracy and division, but, but that then does paint the other side as, as divisive. There are folks within the DFL who look at, you know, views of independent voters in Minnesota as being divisive, people who, you know, are concerned about their uh, child's education, but not the far right things, but maybe, you know, classroom size, maybe it's, you know, some of the academics and some of the curriculum. Independent voters don't want division, but they also want to know their government is listening and hearing from them when they're not part of one of the two parties. How, oh, do I you, totally agree. how do you connect with them? Because everything seems to come through in this era, the filter of party talking points or party agendas, uh, even even here at the convention this weekend, um, you know, the 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 vision that you laid out is very different than the vision of some of the delegates here. Well, I can't speak for those individual delegates, but I would I would reject the premise first and foremost. When I say conspiracy theories, I'm talking about an election that was the fairest and freest. And I think journalists and everyone else, you, you parsing hairs that, well, the governor's talking about more investments in education again, and that's divisive, just like talking about an election is divisive. Those two things are, are apples to rhinoceroses. What I'm talking about with people, and you listen to the speech that I give, and, and go ahead and compare it about talking about this positive vision of us working together. I couldn't agree more. Investments in classrooms, bring down classroom sizes to make sure that Minnesota's number one in the nation ranking in public schools applies to all students. The same way I would argue that the number one, uh, you know, ranking in terms of health care applies to all people and people of color. That is a message that is unity. What I would tell you this is at a governor that simply says yes you're breaking up a little so um uh just as you as you talk about that you know equal access to health care and you know comparing what the other side has just kind of run through that again i want to make sure our listeners hear it well yeah I'm, i'm what i've said is i think i reject this premise that it's an equal process i've laid out that i think we need to have significant funding in education i think we need public safety that focuses on the community needs with community leadership making decisions I think we need to make sure that we're investing in infrastructure and things like broadband. And what I said was, is, is that inside the parties and some of the delegates in the Democratic Party, there's there's wide differences. I made it very clear that I thought the unemployment insurance trust fund was a top priority. That was not super popular amongst many uh, Democrats, but it was the right thing to do for Minnesota. I think the case, though, is, is when to make the, you know, both of you are talking through the filters of this. I'm not saying that there's an election that was stolen because it wasn't. And I'm showing the numbers of over 12,500 Minnesotans dead. That's not a hoax. That was real. And we had to deal with it. And I think making the case to Minnesotans that 
having to deal with real problems, doing it competently with effectiveness and doing it in a way that is not out there. I don't sit around and demonize the other side, but I'm certainly not going to pretend like talking about an election being stolen doesn't undermine our democracy because it does. One of the issues you brought up was public safety and local investments. You proposed more money for police officers, more money for local law enforcement and public safety organizations in your supplemental budget. One of the things that I get talked about, uh, gets talked about in normal conversations with normal people when I talk to them is why people aren't serving their sentences or why a multiple, you know, convicted felon isn't serving more time or why they got out uh, and released by the judicial system. Do you think that you know, if you're reelected or, or do you think you need to say more about what the judiciary needs to do on sentencing or, or incarceration? Because I know that's one of the things that a few years ago was had bipartisan agreement was incarcerate fewer people. But during this crime wave, it's a feeling that, you know, there and that's one or two or 20 stories versus, you know, five million, six million people. But I just, yeah. it's one of those things that doesn't get talked about very often. Governor, I think we lost you again here. Governor, start the answer about incarceration again. Yeah, I think I, I think I heard the whole question, Boyce, on this. Look, it's about incarcerating the right people. It's making sure that we have the resources necessary. I've, in, I've asked for that support every single budget. It was rejected. I asked for more state patrol. It was directed by the GOP Senate. That, that's fine. But the purpose of this is, is 97% of people who are incarcerated eventually end up back on the streets again. And in this system, we go from misdemeanors up to felony convictions. Obviously, the justice system wants to make sure that both there is a penalty paid for violating our laws, but there's also, is there a path to rehabilitation? The idea of Republicans just saying, well, you just incarcerate everybody, just period or whatever. Um, the data on showing who's committing these crimes, what's the recidivism rate, are these convicted felons that are coming out? We need to make sure, especially if we're going to convict someone, they pay their time. We give them the skills necessary when they come back out to make sure that they don't commit crimes again. But the people who are committing these crimes absolutely need to be arrested. They need to be go through in front of the judicial system and they need to be sentenced appropriately to it. But that alone is not the fix to all of this. The fix is to make sure the crime is not committed in the first place and to have that intelligence, have that cooperation that's on the street, have enough people. And when I say people, that may be police officers, it may be dispatchers, it may be mental health counselors, where we end up with people in those situations because we're also getting domestic violence increases and we're getting road deaths up. So when you talk about public safety and public health, um, these are folks that didn't lift a hand to help why 12,500 Minnesotans died of COVID. That's part of public safety. So we have a holistic approach, but I think ours differs greatly in that we trust local officials to make the decisions that they need to make in smart investments in public safety. My guest is Governor Tim Walls. He was endorsed by the DFL this past weekend, kind of kicks off the campaign season in earnest. Uh, he's likely to face Scott Jensen in the November election, but there's a lot of miles between here and there. Governor, you're running uh, again with Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. I'd hope to have her with us today and we'll talk to her down the road, I'm sure. But talk about you guys talked about four years ago how you were friends and you ran together. There's obviously been some trying times. Talk about the friendship and how you two work together or where you've had disagreements, how you how you figure them out. 
Yeah, well, it's a friendship that I value greatly. It's it's only gotten stronger. I think that's true of, of families and friendships. Trying times will, will bring you together. The lieutenant governor's, you know, lived experience is very different than mine as an indigenous woman um, and, and the issues that she's dealt with and seeing the world through the eyes of uh, Children's Defense Fund. We have a lot of commonality around children and families, but it's also good to have the lieutenant governor sees the world and, and understands and hears from groups of people that I wasn't naturally uh, in with, if you will. And so I think for both of us to be able to make the case, we provide a broader spectrum of where Minnesotans are at. They see themselves reflected more in our administration. And I count, as I said, when we started, and it, it holds true to this day, the lieutenant governor is, is the closest and most trusted advisor. And it is her job at times to say, I disagree. Um, and this is why I disagree. And it's my job as governor to, to take the best counsel from experts across the spectrum, but from lieutenant governor and make the best decisions for Minnesota. And I think that has served us incredibly well. Um, again, being facing challenges, not theoretical and, and not make believe things that you said you would do if you were there. We were there. We had to deal with those things with Minnesotans together. And I'm just proud of her steady hand always what's in the best interest of Minnesotans, especially so our littlest Minnesotans, and making decisions around that. One of the things at the convention that I reflected on this weekend is four years ago, you weren't endorsed, and this year you are endorsed. Um, is there any part of that uh, that you think about differently than four years ago when you decided to run in a primary versus this year when you'll, you'll start? you know, likely without a primary challenger um, and and where the party is, where voters are, um, because let's face it, the caucus system doesn't always turn out people who have time to dedicate to this process. And there's oftentimes, you know, uh, both sides of the party, people represented here that maybe, you know, have issues that are a little more narrow casted. What do you think yep. about the caucus system? Do you, do you still support it? Do you want to change the primary? Where are you at on that? Yeah, and that I think that's a fair analysis, boys, that these are passionate people that care. And, and these, these caucus goers, these delegates, many are my dearest friends, but they are very passionate. In many cases, they, they're afforded the opportunity to be able to take time away from work, um, time away from family if they need to. They have the resources to pay for hotels to do some of this. But these are the heart and soul of the folks who knock the doors, make the calls. They know the issues. They care. There's a role for that. But but I also know uh, it can skew where the broader electorate is. And, and when you're governor, it's different than a legislator. When you're governor, you truly do have to be the voice for all Minnesotans. And I know that you may have listeners out there saying, well, you're not hearing my side of things. I do have to take that into consideration. It is not just the people who voted for me. And I think when you get the delegate situation, they are very pure, and, and you see this, and, and I will acknowledge this is one where it happens on both sides. I happen to think it's more distilled on the Republican side right now. Any deviation from that ideology is viewed as you're, 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 not, you're not viable. We're not with you. And I think that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. I made the case strongly, I thought, four years ago, um, led after those first few ballots, wasn't endorsed, but I never said I, would, I always said I was going to a primary. So I think this, the caucus system serves a purpose, but I, I think the primary provides a better cross-section of where people are at and provides maybe a little truer input for people. But they both serve their purpose, um, and I, I kind of think you keep both is the way it works best for us. Economically, 
inflation is obviously at a place where you and I being of basically the same generation we haven't seen since we were kids and didn't have to write checks then like our parents did or figure out gas prices then. Um, you know, as you look ahead, if you're reelected, um, there's, you've left some money on the bottom line, but there's a chance that the state's in a very different economic position without, uh, you know, a DFL house. So if you're reelected, but you have a Republican house and a Republican Senate and a budget deficit, how would you view, you know, a, a situation where you probably can't get a tax increase through? Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to take a theoretical that, that is okay. not there, but I, I will I will answer the question that I don't think it changes um, dramatically. I think you present what is reasonable. I, I'm very proud of the legislators on both sides of the aisle for what I said is, I think, a thoughtful, fair returning money back to Minnesotans at a time when they need it of keeping long term costs down, funding education, making sure those public safety dollars were there, but putting enough on the bottom line. I think the good news for Minnesota is, um, first and foremost, our budget reserves are solid and our economy, the way it's structured, is diverse enough and diversified enough that we never hit the real big highs. And we never hit the real big lows. And so because of that, I think you're right. I, it's stunning to me. I was talking to my mom last weekend, Lois, and she talked about in 1980 when they got bought a little house, uh, 17% mortgage, 17% mortgage. Yeah. And, uh, no, I know. I mean, you remember that. It's stunning. <laughs> and it, it's shocking. And, and these times, you know, it's a global issue with the disruptions, you know, from COVID. I think here in Minnesota, one of the things of talking to the legislatures in my state of the state, I, I mentioned where there was short-term stuff we need to do UI frontline workers Then we needed to take care of a budget, but have that budget. Think about the one thing I hear most from people, especially employers is, are we training that workforce for the future and how are we going to get them? And, and I think watching how that goes is how we would think about, you know, a downturn. I think that we have created a firewall against that, both in terms of budgetary of having that bottom line money in the rainy day funds. But I also think we've created a firewall with an economy that is recovering faster than most other states. Our business survival rates higher than any other state. I just think there's more of a resiliency here and keeping these policies moving forward is exactly the right thing to do. Well, Governor, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. I know we're gonna see each other, talk to each other. We'll have some debates again uh, with you and your opponents this year. But I uh, appreciate you talking after you were endorsed this weekend and as we kick this off in earnest. Uh, appreciate you joining me on Sunday Tech. Yeah, thank you, boys. Thanks for your patience for us being on the road. Have a good, no problem. Have a good week. You've been listening to Sunday Tech on News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Blois Olson. If you want to subscribe to our newsletters, go to fluence-newsletters.com. I'll join Vanita at 620 Monday through Thursday this week. We'll break down the end of the legislative session and the road ahead on campaign 2022. Blaise Olson on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Talk to you next week. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.